BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Show as I speak. It's Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. I'll give you an idea of what's in the news. Uh, this headline in today's Chicago Sun Times, my beloved Bright One Home Delivered. Uh, City's incompetence led to dem- demolition debacle. Brett Chase, uh, kudos to Brett Chase. He's been following the story. This has to do with the demolition of a chimney at the Hill Coal, coal Plant uh, in Little Village. It took place in the middle of the COVID lockdown in 2020 one of the dumbest ideas i've ever seen come out of the city of chicago at least in the last 10 years there's so many there's so much competition when it comes to dumb ideas but they allowed uh, this plant to be demolished and it was just soot sent all over the community all kinds of health hazards as a result of it uh and the inspector general city of chicago did an investigation uh and the inspector general's report shows uh that there was incompetence there was a few bureaucrats uh in the um uh, the city in uh, in, uh, bureaucracy who they said they they named as being responsible I, we can have a longer discussion about this maybe i'll bring brett chase on to, to talk about this but part of the story that really irritates me is that it was an inspector general report done of this uh into this incident that was a threat to life it was a, a threat to the health uh, of the people who lived in the neighborhood it was a really dumb idea to allow this demolition to occur. So the inspector general, which is, uh, and well, there's a human being, but there's also a department, he, he or she oversees a whole department to root out what, corruption, malfeasance, dysfunction, idiocy, whatever, on the part of the city of Chicago. They, they're paid for with our tax dollars. They did their investigation. They prepared a report. You would think this, this report would be released and disseminated throughout the city of Chicago immediately so we can have a discussion and analysis, learn from our mistakes. But no, they kept it secret. I don't know who gave it to Brett Chase at the Bright One. Someone did. I'm happy they did. I'm happy it's out there. But I think it's absurd and ridiculous that you have to rely on somebody leaking a document to the public when it's a publicly financed document. And I know this is not the only uh, IG report 
that is being held back from the public. Utterly absurd the way we do things in the city of Chicago. Supposedly a democracy. Supposedly have transparency. I thought Mayor Rahm brought in transparency and then Lori Lightfoot even brought in more transparency. Apparently... Something was uh, lost in translation of transparency. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. I know he's got some opinions on this uh, and many other topics of the day. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, I'm Greg Pratt with the Chicago Tribune, and I am as pissed off about the lack of, of IG report transparency as you are. And there's a special element to it that's really outrageous, which is that Mayor Lightfoot on the campaign trail and then as, as one of her early acts, passed a law allowing the city to release IG reports because as a candidate, she said, we, we got to release some of these reports. However, it turns out that she only wanted to release reports that have to do with her predecessor. So this is, this is one of those things where, you know, Lori Lightfoot didn't personally knock over the Crawford plant and dust little village, you know, she didn't, uh, she was pissed off about it. And she was, uh, uh, you know, she took some actions afterward to rectify it, but she still feels that she has to cover for the actual report and keep it secret because there are things that they did goofy. There are things that they did mistakenly or that could have been better. And when you become the politician, uh, you're the chicken garden, you're the uh, fox guard in the hen house, right? And so, you know, everything changes. And that's uh, not to rant again on a separate way, but, you know, every one of these other eight candidates talks about we're going to be more transparent. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a bunch of BS. That's They might be better nibbling around the margins, but, you know, uh, they probably won't be better. But she in particular, as the reform mayor, has not done a good job. And the way they've handled this is pretty outrageous. Well, uh, give me a lot to follow up on there, Greg, because um, I, I remember Paul Vallis in action in the 90s. Uh, and my guess is that Paul Vallis, if he were the mayor, would be a maestro uh, at, if, if he could blame it on like some underling in the department of, what was it, department of buildings or department of environment, yeah. I think. I, I can't remember which department. uh uh, we're the two bureaucrats that they're sort of blaming this on. He would be a might. He would there would be a press conference. He would say, "I didn't know about it." Um, I could just see him in action. I remember this is years and years ago, showing my age when uh, there was a flood in the loop because some underground structure was punctured uh, by I forget what punctured it, but all of a sudden the Chicago River started flooding into the loop. This is many many years ago. You were still in grammar school. The point is they found some lower level. Lower lying engineer in the water department, <laughs> and daily was I'm outraged. Mayor did so. There is a way to handle this, which of course is BS, in my humble opinion. Um, what is it, uh, Greg? What is the the rule that enables the mayor or the city to conceal a report? that the IG office has prepared uh, into malfeasance, negligence, corruption, et cetera, and so forth, uh, that was prepared f with public funds, with tax dollar taxpayers' dollars. What is the rule that enables the mayor to conceal that? Uh, it's the uh, CYA Act of 1964, 
Uh, I just made that up. Uh, it, there's, there's, um, there's a bunch of different laws around confidentiality of IG reports. I'm not sure which one is the controlling law. And if you brought, um, uh, you know, if you brought Joe Ferguson on here, he would try to tell you that actually the laws are BS and they can release anything at any time, even before this. But in 2019, as I mentioned, the mayor passed a special law saying that as long as the the corporation council agrees that there's something that may be a felony or that it involves a, a notable death of some sort, that they can release it. And, you know, that language is fuzzy as hell. You know, you can do whatever you want with that language uh, at any time, which is why the mayor doesn't release it, release anything in terms of uh, none of the reports that involve her administration. That's transparency, baby. Yeah. Transparency. Too much information would overwhelm the voter. Uh, And I remember that, by the way, there was a debate years ago in the county board when Mike Quigley got the TIF reform bug and he wanted the, the, uh, the county to print the actual amount of money tips raised uh, on your uh, in your taxes and your property taxes. And I remember it was Larry Suffern and said too much information could be too confusing to uh, the taxpayer. So let's just keep them in the dark. Um, all right. Uh, I find your coverage of the mayor's race absolutely fascinating, fun to read. Uh, in your articles and your tweets where you... You're kind of getting a little wise ass, uh, assy in your tweets there, uh, Greg. I'm just saying. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so let's break down a little bit what's going on. Uh, right now, there has been um, a market upturn, I would say, uh, in criticism. And I'm trying to say this as uh, euphemistically as I can uh, of Brandon Johnson by Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so, what does this all mean? Greg, why uh, suddenly is uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot blasting away uh, at Brandon Johnson? Well, Mayor Lightfoot knows that Johnson is rising in the polls, and she has seen this movie before in 2019 when Lori Lightfoot was rising in the polls, and everybody said, well, she can't make it. She doesn't have enough money. She doesn't have any big union support. She's just a lady railing against the machine. She's going to come in third, fourth, fifth, and we can forget about her for the rest of time and worship at the altar of President Preckwinkle, Mayor Preckwinkle, or Mayor Mendoza, or Mayor Daly, Mayor Daly III. Uh, I think if another Daly becomes mayor, uh, they should probably change their name like the Popes, you know? like. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, be that as it, as it may... Uh, you know, people thought she'd go away. They took it easy on her. They ignored her and she shocked everybody. And, and Mayor Lightfoot is not going to make that same mistake. She is going to tell everybody that he is a business hating cop hating communist and that he's got bad breath and he is (laughs) unattractive and that you got to watch out for him, you know, which he will respond by saying the same things about her, uh, or whatever the equivalent thereof is. Yeah, I, I was going to say there <clears throat> there has to be a lefty equivalent of uh, that's a, a right wing attack uh, on um, Brandon Johnson. Uh, how effective, in your humble opinion, are these attacks? I mean, right now in this race, as I always said, the lane that, that uh, Brandon has is uh, lefties, uh, people of the like, sort of the Bernie Sanders persuasion. 
attacking Bernie Sanders for being Bernie Sanders may hurt him in a general. That is true. But I can't see it dissuading Bernie Sanders voters from voting for him. So how effective do you think this is as a strategy? Uh, that, that's a great question, and I'm not trying to duck it. Uh, for, but I will say first, I don't know. That's the beauty of what we're going to see. I do think an interesting comparable is the 47 Ford with Matt Martin against Michael Negron in 2019, where you have a centrist – uh, even though Negron, uh, he worked for Elizabeth Warren, but he also worked for Rahm Emanuel. He's kind of a centrist. And um, and you have him running in a white ward where people like police, where they put up hate has no home here signs, where they, they think of themselves as progressives, but they're also wealthier. They don't like taxes. You know, they like the idea of being nice to everybody, uh, but they're a little all over the place. And so you get someone like Matt Martin and they and Negron was stomping on him about the city income tax and things like that. And Martin beat the shit out of Negron, you know, just absolutely pummeled him. And uh, and Negron is a good guy, smart guy, good candidate, all that type of stuff. But uh, the idea was um, you've got this radical lefty and we're going to scare these upper income white folks and it didn't work. Now, Matt is, um, you know, Matt Martin is a very charming guy, and Brandon Johnson's even more charming. I think Brandon's politics are probably scarier. I think it's easier to uh, to vilify him a little. But all the same, what I am trying to say is that um, uh, sometimes, uh, to, to use the old Paul Begala, James Carville, Bill Clinton euphemism, sometimes that dog hunts. And sometimes it doesn't hunt. And when you look at the 2019 case, uh, that's something that I, I look at and I wonder, can Brandon capture that magic? And we won't know until it's, uh, you know, February 29th. Yeah. Uh, I do remember, wow, you plucked that uh, Matt Martin runoff election. I remember that one very clearly. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, Negro tried to vilify Matt Martin uh, as an extremist, and he did mop the floor with him. So, uh, you know, you're right. Sometimes just the charisma of a candidate uh, and his appeal uh, just overwhelms the rhetoric. Uh, so that may be the case uh, in this one as well. We'll have to see. Uh, all right. Uh, then we have uh, Jamal Green uh, attacking Brandon Johnson. Uh, at the, I can't remember. I've lost track of which debate it was. It was a recent debate. Uh, Monday. Where he said, Mon- was it? Okay. Uh, and it was, uh, there's so many debates and forums lately um, that I've lost track of which is which. But uh, this is, yeah, Mondays, I believe it was. And it was where uh, he essentially, he called him a fraud. Uh, and he said he didn't really care about black people on the West Side. He was only saying this to win over some of the white North Siders who probably voted for Matt Martin uh, in 2019. So help help us under- decipher this. What is this attack uh, all about? I, J. Maul Green cannot possibly win in this race, if you believe any poll that you've seen. Why is he just pounding away at Brandon Johnson? Uh, you know... 
you know, J-Mall is angry at the CTU because, you know, he, he's been arguing with union supporters. And, and actually, I think he's been arguing with a teenage girl on Twitter who is a Brandon Johnson supporter. Uh, you know, so they've been making fun of him. Uh, you always like to say, and I quote you, in, even in the Chicago Tribune, about politics as high school. And they're in the cafeteria. And, you know, some of these people, uh, CTU and such, have hurt uh, J-Mall's feelings. Uh, you know, J-Mall would tell you that he is he's, he wants to be mayor. He is going to be mayor. And part of how he's going to get there is by beating Brandon Johnson. Uh, obviously your mileage on that may vary, but the, uh, you know, he would say that's what he's trying to do, but I would, uh, uh, I would tell people that you can never discount the human element of these things, which is sometimes people just don't like each other or they're mad at each other or their feelings get hurt. Yeah. Uh, feelings get hurt. Absolutely. I'm not sure. It'll, uh, again, I don't know how many votes, uh, will uh, be sh- will shift because of this attack, um, but feelings obviously were hurt. All right, I believe it was also in that Monday debate uh, where the great issue of whether Chewy Garcia lives in K Town uh, arose, <laughs> uh, and this is one of these Chicago things where we've. I've, I don't know if I've ever had this conversation with you, uh, Greg. I've had it with many people on this show. Like Chicago's got this thing, like everyone's got to be tough. You know, everybody has to be self-made. Like there's no such thing as anybody ever <laughs> having, I don't know, a, a, a middle class or upper middle class existence. You know, uh, we're all tough and we, uh, you know, we fought in the streets and, you know, and that we bring that Chicago toughness. Uh, like we're, like monsters of the midway, even though the real monsters of the midway have been dreadful. Uh, and we'll get to them. We have a scoop of that, but, uh, uh, so your take on, uh, the issue of whether Jesus Chewy Garcia lives in K town, man, you're going to get me in trouble here. So, uh, Congressman Garcia lives in K town, you know, but there, there's some cultural, associations which you know people who live in that area would tell you that k-town's a little further north where there are more um black gangs and 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 uh sections of black gangs and um and that you know there's there's different things i mean you know you might so uh so he does factually live in k-town does he culturally live in k-town uh, i'm not quite sure that that's accurate but you know that's that's uh uh, that's neither here nor there. I regretted, you know, when he said I, I live in K Town. I was like, I'm not sure that's K Town. And then I consulted a, a colleague of mine who knows the gang and the police world there very well, and they said, Yeah, that's technically K Town, but it's out of the spirit of what K Town is. You know, um, the Latin, the Latin gangs uh, where Congressman Garcia lives are known as like Dark Side and the. Uh, uh, you know, the, the gangs in K-Town is what we think of as K-Town are a little further north. So this is one of the things about Chicago, and it, it's all all parts of Chicago, whether it's what your favorite hot dog place is or what your local street gang is, is very parochial. And what you get to claim can vary from block to block. I mean, I live in, I live in Little Village, but I'm in East Little Village. I'm by California 
and Cermak, and there are people who tell you, well, Greg doesn't live in Little Village. He lives in Marshall Square. And I'll say, no, I live in Little Village in the Marshall Square part. <laughs> so, uh, you know, God bless this city. Well, the, it, the, the particulars that led to the K-Town uh, debate was an accusation from Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, that uh, Jesus Chewy Garcia doesn't understand black Chicago. Uh, and so she first, you know, she's pounding away at Brandon Johnson, then she turns around and pounds away uh, at Chewy Garcia. Uh, so what do you think she's up to when at a debate, Lori Lightfoot says Chewy Garcia doesn't understand black Chicago. What do you think she's trying to accomplish uh, in regards to the upcoming election? Well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, I've had on my mind for a while that if you ended up with a Lori Lightfoot versus Chewy Garcia runoff or a Chewy Garcia versus Brandon Johnson runoff, uh, that's actually going to get pretty ugly from racial from a racial standpoint, because there is a lot of bad blood there between Latinos in Chicago and, and uh, the black community in Chicago. Um, and Chewy would tell you that he's a peacemaker and that he's worked with, with black residents. And that's true. He worked with Harold. He has worked with other people. Uh, I, I know that he um, cares about black and brown unity but you can care about those things and that doesn't mean that they're going to embrace you with an open arms, you know, and you're all you have to do is listen to WVON for a few minutes in an afternoon talk show when Chewy Garcia comes up and you can see what the problems there are going to be. So now strategically mayor Lightfoot, um, I think she was just, I think the mayor wasn't acting strategically there so much as she was just responding because he was criticizing in Best Southwest and she was just like, well, you don't know about the West Side because you're not from the West Side. And then he tried to say, I'm from the West Side. And I would say, you know, uh, and this goes back to the to the tedious debate of what is what part of Chicago. I live in the congressman's neighborhood as well. I don't think of myself as a West Sider. I think of myself as a Southwest Sider because there are different connotations. You know, it's like you, if you live in Rogers Park, you wouldn't say I'm a North Sider necessarily. You would say I'm a far North Sider because, uh, you know, those, uh, the people in Rogers Park are far more uh, pinky up than the people in, in Lakeview, you know, uh, or mm -hmm. vice versa, whatever. You get, you get my point. But it was, it was a, I don't know that the mayor was acting strategically. I think some people might say that she was laying the seeds for future attacks. I just think she was reacting to, uh, how dare you criticize Invest Southwest? You don't even know these neighborhoods. Yeah, it could, it, it could have been that. Uh, and if it is strategic, uh, it may be a strategy that really uh, doesn't work because I'll come to this final point here in the mayor's race. Uh, I don't know. Paul Vallis, uh, every poll is number one. Uh, uh, and I've said on the show many times, he's the MAGA candidate in a race and that uh, he is essentially going to be the recipient of the 15% of the vote of the city of Chicago that generally goes to right-wing candidates, Trump, Bailey, Darren Bailey, uh, Bruce Rauner. But now it's pretty clear that he's also making inroads uh, in areas that don't traditionally go strong for Trump. And that is like the 
the 43rd Ward on the north side, the 42nd Ward, the Gold Coast, uh, Lakeview. He's making inroads on uh, the uh, uh, the north side. So all these attacks uh, between like uh, Lori Lightfoot attacking Brandon Johnson, Jamal Green attacking Brandon Johnson, Lori Lightfoot attacking Jesus Chewy Garcia. To me, it's just a classic case of blacks and Hispanics fighting among themselves and the white guy taking advantage of it and emerging. I, I lived through this with Daly in 1989, uh, Greg, and then throughout the 90s. That's my general read on it. What's your thoughts about this? I think there is something to be said for that, but everybody else has been attacking Paul Vallis uh, too, you know, but the... Uh, uh, from different standpoints, but um, and Vallis is trying not to attack anybody except Mayor Lightfoot, and it's interesting because for Paul Vallis to win, he's going to have to if he makes a runoff. And right now, I would bet on him making the runoff, although it's not a, it's not a guarantee. But he has the clearest lane to make the runoff for the reasons you stated. Uh, but Paul um, is going to have to convince a certain amount of of black voters and black residents that he can be like a daily because daily had um, support in the black community. Rom had some support in the black community until uh, he didn't, you know, and Vallis is going to have to convince people of that. And that, you know, that'll be interesting to see w whether he's able to do that. And he's also going to have to not scare moderate white people who, you know, don't like Cadden's era and they don't like Republicans. And so, uh, anybody who tells you that they know how this thing is going to end is nuts because these you have a lot of conventionally fatally flawed candidates here in this particular race with all the front runners and all the other people. I mean, you don't have anybody who comes up like they're in central casting and they're like, uh, Rahm Emanuel, I was the president of the United States' chief of staff and I can have any job I want. Or, you know, my daddy was the mayor and I'm going to be the mayor too. Uh, you have a mayor who's deeply unpopular. You have a um, loquacious former Chicago public school CEO who has never won an election. You've got uh, Brandon Johnson, who I will playfully, for the purpose of this conversation, call a communist. Uh, you have, uh, and and you know that's a joke. And then you have uh, Congressman Garcia. Uh, who comes from an underrepresented political, um, uh, an underrepresentative in electoral politics ethnic group, Latinos, and who um, has run a kind of crappy campaign? Uh, that's a really good summation of things. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. It's funny you should say that. Uh, that uh, Jesus Garcia's, Congressman Garcia's greatest um, support according to every poll I've seen, uh, or is the Hispanic community. And you're, and just this morning, I thought, oh my God, that's troublesome for a victory because that's the lowest uh, voter participation is coming out of like wards like where you live, like the 22nd ward, the 25th ward. And if, if that's what you're counting on to win this election, that's problematic. Uh, and, uh, and what you said about Brandon, I make this joke all the time that like when I fill out those form, I think it was BEZ or the Sun Time, I can't remember who, like fill out this questionnaire and see who you, so I'm always, no matter when they do it, Greg, I'm always with the lefty and 
who gets clobbered in the elections. I'm like, anybody that I support can't possibly win in the city <laughs> of Chicago. Okay. Just, just not. so you're right. It's, it's, um, I, I wrote, I wrote that. I go, nobody knows nothing when it comes to this, the outcome of, of this campaign. Although I would say at this moment, uh, if I was just not a reform gambler, I would go to Vegas and put money on Vallis being in the runoff. I would, I'm pretty certain that Paul Vallis will be in the runoff. Who the other person is, Greg, I have no idea. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think that is um, a safe bet because you could knock Paul out if you started spending big money against him. But no, these people don't have big money to spend. And Mayor Lightfoot doesn't think she's going to knock Paul out the runoff. She thinks she's going to knock Chewy or Brandon out, which is why her newest ad goes after those two and then talks about herself. Uh, Chewy has atrophied uh, financially, so he doesn't really have the money and he hasn't spent his money well. And Johnson could try to uh, knock Vallis out the runoff, but he needs to keep focusing on building himself up and defending himself from Lightfoot. And uh, Johnson probably would love to face Vallis. Everybody thinks that if they face Vallis, it's easy peasy. Uh, and, you know, be careful what you wish for there, too, because that's not true either. You know, Vallis, uh, um, like I said, uh, by conventional standards, you have a lot of flawed candidates here. And and so that's, uh, that's, that's something that is just um, something to watch. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, you're talking about financing, uh, and um, you did a story. Uh, I think it was I'm losing track of time again. I read it yesterday. Whatever doesn't matter when it came out. A very enlightening story about uh, campaign financing and the rules governing it. That essentially, even though we've had all these quote unquote reforms, sort of like the transparency issue that we talked about. Uh, even though we had all these uh, initiatives to have be more transparent, where less transparent or as bad as we ever been. Similarly with uh, campaign financing, uh, so much is concealed about who is funding candidates, wh who's funding PACs that fund candidates. Why don't you go into a little bit, uh, Greg, what you discovered uh, when you took the deep dive in this? Well, um, you know, the irony is uh, there's a super PAC created by uh, people tied to ROM people that is supporting Chewy Garcia for reasons that are unclear. Um, there's a super PAC supporting Paul Vallis. That's, you know, probably just a bunch of wealthy white guys. Um, there's a super PAC supporting Mayor Lightfoot. That one is clear and they're not hiding their money. They're just, uh, uh, they're just a former Lightfoot guy and the mayor needs, the mayor needs money from city vendors and she can't take it herself. So you create a super PAC. Obviously they would say that, uh, that the guy who created it for who used to work for her did it out of his own heart and mind and had no idea, no thoughts of, uh, you know, we need to get around the ethics code, but that's, that's the practical effect of what they're doing. And it's the only reason to do what they're doing. Uh, so, um, but the dark money thing is very concerning when it comes to Garcia and Vallis, because, you know, if, if Ken Griffin and I'm making this up, wants to spend an election, Great. Good for him. You know, like uh, the public will decide whether they like that or they don't like that. But if Ken Griffin wants to give under the name of, you know, 
benevolent corporation LLC, you know, that's, uh, that's BS. Uh, and that's a problem. And the same thing, if CTU wants to give, you know, that's good, right? If, uh, if Fred Eichner wants to give, you know, Fred Eichner is Ken's, uh, liberal funhouse mirror cousin. Uh, great, you know, but, uh, so that, that's a problem and a concern. Yeah. And, uh, there's, you introduced a concept, uh, in your story and, and now I'm, I'm having a, a dyslexic moment and I can't remember it's red boxing or red lining. So I it's humbly red boxing. red boxing. Okay. Uh, red lining is another notorious practice. Uh, so explain the concept of red boxing and how it is used to circumvent the, the intent of the law. Well, um, you know, red boxing is, is, um, you, you know, you say I can't coordinate with these people, but you put something in a red box on your website that's there so that if somebody comes along and they want to spend a bunch of money to support you, they can just take it and use it without attribution and they don't got to ask for permission. And that's, uh, that's red boxing. It's preposterous. It's preposterous. It's funny if they red box the wrong thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they, they, like, you know what I mean? Like, like the metaphor is you put it in a red box, uh, and then so what? What it is? So the the Lightfoot campaign will say, "I believe in law and order." I'm making that up, and then they put it in a red box, whether that's real or not. And then the pack comes along, and they go, "Well, we're going to be in message with the Lightfoot campaign, even though we're not supposed to be working in conjunction with the Lightfoot campaign. We're not supposed to even be talking to the Lightfoot campaign." And so they literally just copy and paste. I believe in law and order and put it uh, in their pack, which is raising money or puts it in their commercials financed by the money they raise. Uh, so they're effectively working in conjunction, even though they have plausible deniability, man, this stuff is like out of the Reagan administration. And what if they red, red box the wrong thing? You know what I mean? We're like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. I believe in people smoking reefer every day and they put that out. Oops. <laughs> satire there, but, uh, uh, I can only wish. All right. Um, you, uh, you had a, uh, a very funny tweet today, uh, which every now and then you come up with these tweets, Greg, that are not directly linked to stories you're writing or promoting or that other Tribune writers have written, uh, or anybody has written. It's just like these quirky little things from the campaign. And, uh, I already have a, uh, one of my listeners wanted me to ask you about this, um, cause I announced that you would be on the show. Uh, so, uh, it is, and I'm going to quote, uh, this listener sent this to me as well. Uh, here's a blind item from my day, which politician who is unlikely to make a runoff is telling me that they won't give me an interview when they win on February 28th. For the record, my journalism isn't built on exclusive interviews with politicians. I'm with you hundred percent on that one, by the way, Greg. Uh, but, um, uh, so who is the mystery candidate? Go ahead. Uh, well, you're going to get me in trouble here, but you know, um, you know, Jamal green, uh, is just always, um, pitching me that I should give him more attention. And we, we include him in all of our coverage because he's one of the candidates. Um, 
we when we do big rollouts, when we do of like here's what the nine candidates say about whatever, we include him. We're pretty fair about including him and other people who have less of a chance. But, you know, J is always very upset and he he feels that he's being taken lightly and that he's going to win and that he's going to shock the world. And I always say, well, great. You know, I, I, I hope you do. I mean, good luck to you. You know, I, that's not, that's not up to me. That's up to you and the voters. And, uh, so I wake up every morning and, and, um, on a regular basis, you know, I've got a complaint from J Maul green that he's not being covered fairly. And I've got a complaint from, I've got a suggestion that the polls or that there's some new poll and there was a poll that had him at like 6% and sixth place. And he said, why don't you cover that and say I'm surging? And, you know, um, we don't write about polls. First of all, uh, at the Tribune, we don't write about other people's polls. And then it was like, well, um, you know, if I was looking at that poll and you're in sixth place, that's not exactly what I'm going to focus on, you know? And so even if I believe the poll and he just volunteers, he says, well, look, guess who's going to be begging for an interview on February 28th and you're not going to get it. And, you know, my heart breaks because, you know, I mean, my heart breaks, but uh, and, and to be fair, I don't mean to pick on uh, Jamal Green with this because I get com- I get calls from candidates. You know, they're always working the referee. They want free media. They want all that type of stuff. Uh, nobody gets at me like Jamal, though. You know, because Jamal, uh, you know, uh, he knows how to be the squeaky wheel, and that's that's great for him. You know, but I think it's a I think it's uh, as reporters. We get to see a lot of nonsense. We get a lot of people trying to work us and trying to get attention. And every once in a while, I like to point it out. I mean, one of my favorite sassy tweets was that if a if a rally somewhere in the Chicago city of Chicago show goes on long enough, Pat Quinn is going to show up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tell me funny. that's not true. Uh, no, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it depends really what the rally is, uh, I would say. Uh, and uh, anyway, a shout out to listener Frank. Uh, he correctly predicted it was Jamal Green. Uh, all right. Uh, let's close with the breaking news uh, that uh, by the time you hear this, ladies and gentlemen, will be old news uh, because uh, this uh, show is dropping two days after uh, we conduct this interview. So, uh, Tell us the breaking news uh, regarding my beloved Chicago Bears. And I truly don't understand why I love them so much and follow them so much, <laughs> but I do. Go ahead, Greg. Well, the Bears are closing on the on the sale of the Arlington Heights property. They're going to buy that property, which is the next step for them leaving for um, Arlington Heights. However... One of the things that – and this is going to be a big deal because people are going to be already saying this is the mayor who lost the Bears. Uh, and that's not true yet. You know, there's – the Bears still need to get the money to actually build their stadium and we and to make the project feasible. And that's not a given. You know, I would – it's just not a given. The Bears – you know, the Bears can mess up a first-round draft pick. You know, they can certainly mess up a multi-billion dollar land deal. And uh, and development project, and they're uh, 
so, you know, so it's not over, but this, this step is a critically important one, which is actually buying the land, controlling the land. And next is figuring out, can we actually do the thing on the land that we need? Yeah. And I, I don't know this. I, I, I've not seen any of the stories about this, but I'm wondering if the uh, the purchase of the land is contingent on obtaining some sort of assistance to develop that land. In other words, there's, there's some kind of, kind of uh, legal language that protects the bears uh, on this front. So in other words, if they don't get the money and they don't want to pay for it out of their own pocket, are they stuck holding on to the land? Do you know if, if there's any language like that, uh, Greg, in this deal? Well, my understanding is no, they, they're going to own the land. And so they're going to be responsible for whatever they do with the land. But my understanding could be wrong as I sit here. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just want to say, this is me speaking, not Greg, any voter in the city of Chicago. And I've been very, very critical of Lori Lightfoot, as everybody knows. Uh, and I make fun of myself for having believed everything she said in 2019, only to watch her break her uh, promises at, in the aftermath. Having said that, Anybody in the city of Chicago who votes against Lori Lightfoot because she was, quote unquote, the mayor who lost the Bears is a fool. Because this is a deal that is advantageous to the Chicago Bears. If they get public financing to own that Arlington land, they're going to make so much money off of that. Uh, it, it has really nothing, in my humble opinion, to do with Lori Lightfoot uh, and everything to do with... Um, What's in the best, the bears perceive as their best interest. I'm going to get off my soapbox on that one. Uh, and um, That's right. I, and this is, this is not something that was some great plan by the bears. This big piece of land came open and they said, let's do it. This isn't like if Lori Lightfoot was nicer or less nice or tougher. It, it, it's really outside of her control. Now, she knows that uh, politics isn't about who's right and who's wrong and what the facts are. So she's... You know, which is why she's been doing this uh, dog and pony show with the stadium and Soldier Field, and we're going to put a roof on it because she wants uh, uh, Joe uh, Trubisky or whatever to to say she tried. You know, the the Bears got greedy or whatever it is that they think they're going to say. But this really is not the mayor's fault in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely. absolutely. And I, I would argue it's a, it's a total difference. I would argue it's against the city's best interest to throw even more money to the Chicago Bears. We're still paying off the obligations from the last time uh, we threw money at the Chicago Bears, which I believe in 2002. And so, I mean... Yeah, I I, uh, I don't even think Joe Trubisky, which is I know you're a made up mythological Bears fan, would be complaining. I think most Bears fans probably want a dome stadium, uh, and they, most of them or many of them live closer to Arlington Heights than they do to uh, the South Loop uh, Lakefront. So uh, I just uh, feel it's one of those phony issues, and I, I actually. Don't even think Chicagoans are falling for it. Uh, all right, Greg, it was uh, a blast talking to you. Uh, before I let you go, um, let me see. Well, I'm going to watch some ducking and dodging here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, this is a prediction. This is not an endorsement. This is a prediction. In your humble opinion, Gregory Pratt, who will be in the mayoral runoff? Uh, you know, um, I don't like to do that. Uh, however, I would say that as of today, 13 days from the election, 
Um, I would bet on Brandon Johnson versus uh, Paul Vallis. That said, um, there's a lot of undecideds. The mayor is spending a lot of money to knock Johnson down and prop herself up. Uh, Chewy Garcia could rise from the dead. I think that people are overstating um, his demise, although he is in in tough shape. Um, I don't take for granted that – uh, Willie Wilson could make it, you know, I think, I think it's possible because uh, if he keeps enough black voters and if he wins enough Northwest side whites, it's possible. I wouldn't bet on that. I think that's the least likely of the serious candidates, but um, he's spending a lot of money on TV and radio and, and it's just not a, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. No, I know Ricky, you gave me a look, which you're, uh, I gave you that Willie Wilson look. Ricky Henning came on a show uh, and uh, he said, Ben, look out. Willie's going to do really well on the Northwest Southwest side. Uh, and I, you know, I love you, Ricky Hennon, but uh, I, I think that's the Paul Vallis vote. And uh, if you just drive out to the Northwest or Southwest side, you should see all those Vallis signs. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Those that there's it's Johnson, uh, Lightfoot, and uh, Chewy. I, I don't know. I'm with you, man. I, 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 this would be one where I wouldn't know how to bet if it's just straight up bet. So yeah, it could break any which way, but I'm sticking with that Vallis prediction. I do believe he will be at the runoff. Greg Pratt, it's a blast talking to you and it's a lot of fun reading your articles and your tweets. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. That's a great, Greg Pratt. I'm Ben Jarowski. Take care, everybody. 